Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 98. Uh, last week we had, well, it was a bit of a fangirling moment for me, actually, because we had Karen Moynihan on, who I've followed on TikTok for some time, and it turns out I've actually been following her since her second ever video. She had 34 followers, so it uh, sounded like a bit of a weirdo when I told her that one, but that is the case. Um, next week we've got Neil Barrett, uh, or NJB Hoofcare, on the old Instagrams, who came on to talk about his career as a hoof trimmer and then we spoke about mental health and got really deep and opened up to each other so two bearded men talking about their sort of past truths for a good hour and then a wee bit about his sort of bovine beautician side um obviously only two episodes away from the hundred quite exciting uh the hundredth episode is recorded um i will give you the tip i've given you in the last five or six episodes that the hundredth episode is with someone that has been on the podcast before um Yes, they're all going to be... Uh, no, let's not give any more away. I've managed till now. This is the last one I'm filming that is going to be out before it. So that is all you're getting. Quite looking forward to it. Big announcement coming. Um, and yeah, today uh, we have got um, five people on from an organisation that... There's been a few sort of companies, organisations throughout the R2 cast that I've spoke with, been involved with, that have sort of been around my life forever. You know, been brought up in a farm... Some things have just always been there, and this is definitely one of them. Um, today we've got quite a few representatives from NFU Scotland. Um, what we'll do is we'll go around everyone, we'll get you to introduce, we'll get everyone introduced because it's not just one person. Uh, we do have uh, five, as I said. So purely because of who I have in front of me on the screen, we're going to go around in clockwise order. Um, it's probably going to be different for everyone else. But Just before we get started with another episode of the R2Cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Aplan Rural for that. Amy, would you like to say hello first? Just tell us a quick hello and we'll go around and then we'll go more in depth as we go. Yeah, of course. Hi, everyone. And thank you so much for having us, Wallace. Um, so I'm Emmy Dyer. I am the newest recruit at NFU Scotland. I've been there since February, so not very long at all. Um, but I look after the social media side of NFUS. Um, you can see anything you see on Instagram, on Facebook or on Twitter. It's probably me behind it. Um, yeah, I do that. And I also do some of the communication side as well. So dealing with press inquiries um, and also I have some involvement in the magazine as well. Um, I wrote a little article a couple months ago um, just on our social media presence. Uh, so it's really nice to be getting involved in the more nitty gritty side of it. Um, yeah, really enjoying it so far. Excellent. And uh, for, for those on the call that know anything about me and for those that don't I'm going to tell you anyway I'm a bit of a social media nerd so that's really <laughs> great to ask you a few questions um moving around uh, in the same order uh, as Lisa next Lisa could you tell us a bit about yourself yeah so I'm Lisa I work as livestock policy advisor at the union I've been here for 16 months ish I started this role in December and beforehand I was a policy assistant um, at the union Similarly to you, Wallace, I grew up on a family farm, so NFUS was something that kind of 
had floated around the kitchen table for a long time um and somehow I've ended up here it's like I, it negative, I didn't mean it as negative it's a good thing <laughs> <laughs> ended up no we don't even know um yeah NFU has just been like a word forever like I've always been aware of it that and Scottish farmer are probably the two things that I knew first uh, funnily enough it was not surprising it would have been sort of near the first few words I ever had um Sarah yeah, so I'm Sarah and I'm the Environmental Resources Policy Manager. So a lot of my policy remit deals with environmental regulations like air quality, water quality. Um, so work a lot alongside SEPA, um, the regulator. My other policy remits include um, plant protection products, uh, circular economy, um, flooding and also biodiversity, which is um, an exciting topic at the minute. Um, unlike um, some others on this call, I'm not from a farming background. I joined NFU Scotland just over two years ago, um, and that was a complete um, a new entrant, as you will, to farming. Yeah, I think it's important we have people from different backgrounds, different cultures coming in. For quite a while, this sector was so... The first question was, are you from a farm? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's quite sort of reductive in some ways, and I'm quite glad that we're seeing so much more, more intake from, from elsewhere. It's important. Um, moving on to Penny. Hi, yeah. Um, I've been with the Union now for 15 years, I think it is. Um, I started as Livestock Policy Manager um, and have kind of taken on various different roles. Um, I think it's interesting since I've been here. Currently, I cover um, pigs and poultry working groups, um, so I've got responsibility for those. I'm from an animal health and welfare background, um, so I cover animal health and welfare across all species. Um, so I have a lot of crossover with uh, with Lisa um, on the, the sort of bigger livestock health and welfare issues. And um, for my sins, I also have taken over the sort of uh, of uh, species management uh, within the union, which is really dealing with all the conflicts between various species and agriculture. Excellent, excellent. I have quite a few questions because a lot of that is very topical at the minute, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Difficultly topical, I'm sure, for yourself at times. Um, yeah, I feel I have yeah. a lot of the kind of difficult subjects that I cover. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, last, by no means least, uh, Beatrice. Yeah, I'm Beatrice. I'm the political affairs manager in NFU Scotland. So I've been in the role for just coming up to two years. And like Sarah, I have no farming experience whatsoever. Um, I came from whiskey before um, before this. So they are kind of linked, but, but very different. Um, and my job entails dealing with um, and engaging with the MSPs, MPs, ministers, and spending a lot of time in Westminster and Hollywood. And I'm sure with that remit, sometimes whiskey is required. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, but yeah, yeah, pretty interesting background. Do you know, whiskey is something I always wish I liked. I feel like it's so sophisticated to go out and buy a fancy bottle of whiskey, but it just burns my tum tum, so I can't face it. Um, There's tips, and if we ever meet, I can show you how to drink it so that doesn't happen. <laughs> it's going to be a dangerous, dangerous game. It's going to end terribly. Um, <laughs> very, very bad. Uh, the, fir the first thing I kind of want to jump to, um, I'll probably sort of ask throughout the, the session, each of you, how your day goes, you know, what, what a sort of normal week in each of life is. But um, the one thing I really wanted to jump in, because I'm terrible at forgetting things that are quite important questions, is, is starting with yourself, Penny, is um, pigs and poultry are to... Oh, oh, well, I'll tell you what, we'll jump on to Emmy, we'll jump on to Emmy. Um, 
Emmy, you're obviously new sort of into into the job at the minute uh, and involved in that social media. Um, NFU in general is a thing that's working with farmers for farmers, trying to sort of push that agenda that it's not a bad thing, it's it's a good thing and, and sort of show the good produce that, that we're producing. What what role is social media playing in that? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question, especially with the sort of target audience of social media versus sort of our average, um, our average member. Um, I think social media is really important in speaking to a really wide audience. So the younger generation, as well as people who aren't from a farming background at all, who have no, no prior knowledge of what is involved in producing food and being within agriculture. Um, and I think we're hoping to use our social media platforms to speak more about, um, I think, ongoing issues. So the stuff that we cover in our magazine and sort of bringing that more to the forefront of our messaging and really speaking to the public rather than just keeping it within our membership. I think that's my main, my main focus. And does that start sort of from... Like, are you targeting that purely at adults or are you looking at getting involved in schools and stuff like that as well? It's a, yeah, that's a great question. I think, and it's something to think about as well. At the moment, we're just looking at our current, it, just engaging our current audience more, but there's definitely scope for talking in schools more. And as I was saying, I really, really want to get the younger generation involved, which of course does involve schools, but also involves young farmers. I think young farmers are very much an untapped resource in what we do currently. Um, there seems to be a big gap between uh, people who are memberships of the union mm -hmm. and, and people who um, are watching our content on Instagram and on social media. So I think there's definitely a bridge that we can build there. Well, I mean, if it helps, I've just joined the committee for the National Comms and Marketing Committee and hopefully... Well, I'll put in for vice chair as well, which I'll find out in the next 24 hours for sitting there. So Ooh, either, good luck. either I've said that now and this is going to come out in a week or two and I'm going to look very silly. Sorry for jumping away from you, Penny, there just, uh, just looked like something was going on. children, sorry. Oh dear, not at all, not at all. Um, uh, I sometimes feel like looking after myself is enough, never mind more. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the pigs and poultry side is, is something uh -huh. that jumps out, you know, pigs from the pork production and things not getting accepted and borders and all that is a, is a major issue and poultry with bird flu and, and all the problems that are coming there. What, what are, I guess what I'm trying to ask is what is it you're dealing with? You'll be dealing with a lot in that side of things at the minute. Yeah, certainly <coughs> both those sectors are facing fairly troubling times at the moment or have been going through fairly troubling times. Um, the poultry side, um, avian influenza has been incredibly significant over the last couple of years. Um, so yeah, we had a really bad year, thought it couldn't get much worse and then it did get worse. Um, and it's been you know, spreading out much more awareness across uh, the general public as well with a lot more wild birds being, being affected. But um, it's been really problematic for poultry producers and really quite frightening because the impacts of um, getting the disease are really significant um, and quite, yeah, they cost a lot. There's a lot of time, there's a lot of emotion involved. Um, and it's very, very difficult. So um, yeah, they've been, I've been really feeling for them, struggling with, with that. We are um, desperately touching wood that um, things seem to be quietening down a little bit. So um, yeah, hopefully we can 
to just take a bit of a breather and, and look at what we've learned from it. Um, we've actually got a biosecurity seminar happening tomorrow for poultry producers to kind of look at some of the lessons we have learned over the past couple of years um, about what you can do to help try and protect birds from this yeah, really difficult disease. So, so yeah, they've been struggling um, and they've not been able to get insurance against avian influenza um, and it's been making and with very poor prices, particularly on the on the egg side, uh, it has been making producers putting birds in or not, which has then had the knock-on effect that um, we've been seeing shortages on the shelves and things like that. Um, and although the retailers blame it all on avian flu, it, it's a lot of it coming down to the fact that <coughs> excuse me, prices haven't been great. Um, so if you're faced with not getting paid a lot for your product, but you've got a huge risk of um, putting birds in from avian influenza, then a lot of them have taken that that decision to to just step back for a bit. Um, so yeah, and pigs, well, they were hit really badly with COVID problems. Um, some of the uh, processors, when they had problems with COVID in the factories and shut down, it caused big backlogs of pigs um, on farm, which have taken months and months to get past and get back to normal and has had massive impact on the um, on the prices paid for pork because effectively there's too much of them around um, and at a time input costs absolutely soared uh, the pig guys have been really feeling it prices thankfully are improving a little um, but we've still got really high input price input um, costs associated and a lot of them are looking at what's coming down the line in terms of regulation, so um, environmental regulation, um, some welfare regulation, um, and wondering, you know, where where the money's going to come from to be able to uh, to make the changes. I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors, Aplan Rural. Aplan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates the UK over, and will give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years or a fancy new and exciting diversification yeah well that's that's the worry that's the worry is is this this a problem we can get out of you know and, and I, someone actually spoke to me i was at a show or not a show just like a stand and then it was at a school and they came up and said oh i saw you see what you offer we spoke about you know that we offer agriculture or whatever and they said oh, agriculture is in a pretty good place isn't it prices went through the roof and i'm like they have but well not through the roof they went up <laughs> but those input those input costs as well yeah exactly yeah. exactly um yeah for sure sorry yeah that's that's a very good point uh but yeah that's that's the part that you know we're a consumer a consumer-based industry and the consumer doesn't see that part um you mentioned a really important part point there quite near the start about sort of like the emotional trauma around this is is that a thing that the unions involved in helping or is that more on, on other sort of uh, organizations no certainly it's something <coughs> at the union we recognize as being really important um i mean i know when i joined um the union i was told you a lot of the work and things that came on during foot and mouth um and a huge part of our role is to be there and to listen um to farmers and to their problems um you know, obviously we're sort of looking at policy and taking forward but it's listening to those problems that um that they're really going through and trying to make sure that there's a advice and support out there i mean there's organizations like rsabi do fantastic work um 
But as the problem with it, with a lot of sectors, it's getting people to actually talk about these things and to to recognise it. You know, we can we can listen and we can signpost, um, and we try repeatedly to put things out to try and persuade mm-hmm. people to open up. But that's kind of yeah, that's that difficult problem. Farmers are a um, are a breed unto their own and uh, not necessarily always willing to uh, to come forward when they think they've got a problem. So. Yeah, and it's, times are tough out there. They really are tough for them. It's here yeah, that the opening up things, I mean, like I said in the introduction, that when you listen to 99th episode, the next one with Neil, me and him sort of opened up about difficulties we'd had in the past and stuff like that. But that, I mean, that's taken me two years to be able to get to that stage since the trouble, you know? And it's, I think sometimes we're, we're quite quick to say, oh, if you open up, it's, it's better. It is. But it's bloody hard doing it when you're in that position. You're like, I'm not, I'm not fully ready to do this. Um, but an effort to not have this be two hours of down the next episode. <laughs> all right. Uh, no, it's here not at all. It's very important. Very important to talk about. Um, Beatrice, your, your side of the, 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 well, your job, I guess, is, is quite an interesting one, dealing with sort of um, those in Parliament and that sort of thing. How? How does that work? Are you getting information from the farming community and then passing that on and then vice versa? And, and how are those sort of conversations being made? Yeah, so I mean, I work very closely with everybody on this call and all everybody in the policy team. So they're the experts in all their area. And I know a little bit about a lot of things. So I don't know very much about the detail of what everybody's working on. But I engage um, yeah, directly talking about things that we want to talk about. But a lot of my work is quite reactive as well. So following legislation through Parliament and if there's an opportunity for us to underline our key points on issues that are being debated in the parliament, whether that's in committees or questions or um, debates, you know, it's it's kind of looking for those opportunities to underline how important the farming sector is for rural communities and rural economies, but also getting across our our, um, key messages and issues as well. And yep, MSPs and MPs phone me up and tell me things. And, you know, it's a kind of a two way conversation and Mm -hmm. It's um, it's I, I absolutely love my job. And um, one of the negatives about it is the changes that happen with pol- politics and the inevitability of elections coming and people that we've got really good relationships with no longer being there. But um, that's just politics for you, I suppose. So it's ne- never a dull day, I suppose you could say. <laughs> I, c- I can imagine that's quite tricky. Your sort of your job is is grand, and maybe things are going great for four years, and then well, I think. I'm so sorry. I'm terrible at politics. It generally took me on an episode four or five episodes ago, about thirty seconds to remember who the prime minister was. Like I'm, I'm so bad at this side of things. But Sturgeon was in for quite some time. Um, I don't know. Was she good? Was she bad? Let's assume she was good. You're getting used to that. You're working alongside that, and then suddenly something changes, and let's not say the next person's inherently bad, but trying to work alongside that. That must be quite a big challenge. And 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 correct me if I'm wrong here, Beatrice, but is agriculture number one on, on politicians sort of eye line, if you will, is what they're looking at first. I assume you've sort of got to really push forward to get that. I mean, there's not any constituency or region within Holyrood or, or Scotland, you know, Westminster, that doesn't have farming interest in it. Um, whether that's a, an actual farm or whether it's a processing or whether it's, you know, further down the line, etc. So making it relevant to politicians is, is really um, important. Um, we have really good relationships with cross-party, with, um, you know, rural affairs 
spokespeople that's somebody that I deal with very very regularly but it does extend to to a lot of other people as well so I like I've worked in public affairs now for about 20 years and I've never been busier in a role because rural affairs gets a lot of time in Holyrood and in Westminster as well there's always debates and questions and it's it's you know it's very very busy time for um farming to to be getting a lot of coverage in parliaments yeah definitely definitely and it's, it's sort of just sort of reminded me of a plug opportunity if you will if you are listening you're sort of thinking i wonder what else nfus does <laughs> let's see if i can remember the number of the episode here i'm pretty sure the president of nfus martin kennedy was number 17 uh, so if you want to go but if that's right I, i've like i've set myself a challenge a few episodes ago i was like oh i can always remember every number whatever episode was um and now every time i mention it i feel like there's so much pressure created solely by myself um but yeah if you want to go back and listen to that that's there and also uh ex-regional manager yes that's right uh, of um, nfu number 15 with christine cuthbertson who's moved on to monitor farm program uh, sort of another bit of information what's going on there if that is of interest um moving on to yourself sarah a uh, really interesting topic you're involved in i mean we took students back in june to northern ireland and one of the uh, the thing i brought back well not the thing one of the main things i brought back was their hill and research center they've sort of objectified how you can um, you know, monetize different parts of a health system. And one of the things was looking at biodiversity. And, and it's a it's a thing we need to be focusing on more. And I think as an agricultural community, we think it's like a, an afterthought, you know, and, and it's quite important to hear that you're involved in that. So what's what what's your sort of, you've obviously got more than just biodiversity. I know that I'm sort of focusing on one thing. Um, but tell us what you're sort of doing there. So I think biodiversity is a really exciting one at the minute. I think for the past couple of years, climate change and net zero has kind of taken up a lot of space on that kind of change agenda um but it's starting to be recognized more and more that it's not just about climate it's also about biodiversity and, and nature as well and those two things they do go hand in hand but not they are not always kind of um you know complementary of each other there's some there's some elements of farming and, and of, of um, you know, land management that can even be in opposition. So we want to see um, and look at how farming and farming systems um, can actually benefit biodiversity. And I think farming gets a bit of a hard time sometimes, especially when it comes to climate change. And we are starting to see within the union that we can actually look at biodiversity as a positive. Um, there's many things farmers can do for climate as well, but for biodiversity, it's a particular um, is a particular source of pride for many of our members. They do feel like they are stewards of the environment and of biodiversity. It's something that you can see a lot easier than climate change. You know, it's kind of hard to envision what that looks like. Whereas if you see an increase in farmland birds or if you have a hedgerow or, you know, you know, you can actually see that. And so I think in terms of farmers contributing to their natural environment, it's something that's a lot more tangible. Um, and for the public as well, you know, if, if the public have got a certain impression of what farming is and what farming does, then being able to see what biodiversity is out there um, in, the, in the fields and, and, you know, as they drive through the countryside, I think that helps boost the public image. Um, in terms of what we're doing, we're trying to kind of get more evidence around what works, what, what doesn't work. Um, we're trying to mainstream biodiversity. So it's not just, you know, the cream of the crop or, you know, the top the top flyers who who do the great things and that's maybe kind of 
inspiring but it's not accessible to everyone so we're trying to you know kind of highlight what people can do at all levels um, no matter what what kind of farm system you have and um, you mentioned hill and sheep farms and I'm working with um, Lisa uh, as well and looking at how we can um, you know really highlight and really promote the biodiversity that is on those kind of more marginal marginal landscapes um, so yeah just really I think it's a really um, going in a positive direction and there's lots more work to be done. Yeah, brilliant. And I mean, it's it's one of those things that, like, I think when we, you sort of, you're always going to have those, what would you say, what's the word, early adopters. And then when it's away from the conventional, it's going to take the, the rest to follow. But I think we're at that stage where we're starting to realise, oh, yeah, it's not just a bunch of pretty flowers. There's a lot more to it. Um, and I remember when um, we shifted from single farm payment to basic payment scheme, sort of really sitting down with mum and dad at whatever age that would be, maybe. 18 something like that and going over the amount of species that was on the farm that you just genuinely did not consider and uh, sort of looking at promotion of that is, can only be a good thing for so many reasons um, we sort of focused in on one thing of you there Sarah just the biodiversity side but you're also was environmental policy manager is that right is that yeah yeah so what else is involved in that remit? I assume a lot. <laughs> there is so much. So, um, yeah, as I kind of mentioned, there's air quality um, water quality, which um, one of the main things that I work on under that um, kind of policy remit is um, changes to regulations around slurry storage and slurry spreading. Um, so it's quite a, a hot topic as well um, within the union. Um, it, there's a lot of changes it's one of many changes that are coming in that um that you know farming businesses have to kind of adapt and, and change and, and fit within these regulations and part of our role is to I suppose be the kind of middle person in terms of explaining to government why um these regulations can't be you know threaten the viability of farm businesses but also Go the other to the other side and say well the government want to introduce these because that will have a benefit for water quality and it'll have benefit for air quality if slurry is spread at the right time and it's spread in a way that's not um you know not kind of damaging uh, damaging the environment so that's just a couple of things um also i work on the circular economy um looking at kind of farm plastics and waste and how um, in, in kind of bigger picture circular economy stuff in terms of how farming itself can be circular and there's actually a lot of really good stories and really good case studies as to how agriculture is the kind of original circular economy um, and we've got a new circular economy bill that will be coming this year through parliament so that's just another good opportunity to showcase what agriculture does um, and it's part of that story of, of kind of painting painting it in a good light and showing what it does have and what it does do rather than um, negative things. Um, and then just kind of lastly in my remit, I also deal with plant protection products, which again can be um, you know, quite a tricky and complex subject to deal with. Um, but we have to get that message across to government that it's not about um, no pesticides or spraying everywhere, that we actually need to have a really measured approach um, through integrated pest management. And actually having all the tools available in the toolbox and kind of empowering farmers to make the best decisions is much better than a kind of strict black or white um, binary choice. You um, Sarah, seem like one of those people that pretends you don't do anything but you actually do loads. You, on about four occasions in that one speech you're like yeah we, we just do that and then oh well I just do that. <laughs> <laughs> 
they'd say a lot of things. Um, if anyone's interested in that sort of biological control and whatnot, I'm sure Sarah will have something to say later on. But if you look at Articast number 77, we spoke a bit about uh, biological control on, that's terrible, Alstromedia flower. So if you know what that is, great. I didn't. Uh, my mum bullied me for it, sent me like four million questions that she wanted me to ask and I didn't understand any of the words. But Ben explained it very good. So we're going to have a listen to that if you're interested. Um, <clears throat> And again, last but by no means least, uh, Lisa, could you give us a wee bit, uh, well, what's involved in your day-to-day and you've moved, moved, obviously, from assistant onto the policy side of things, but from assistant to policy moving up. Was that change quite a big change? And uh, yeah. Yeah, and I suppose in a way it is a bit of a big change. So I originally started as a policy assistant, so that was quite um, a mix of things. It was project-based for various remits, so it covered everything from helping Sarah with farm plastics to political monitoring with Beatrice and um, I'm sure me and Penny did one as well so it was really good and it gave me a taste of all the little bits of policy and also an understanding of the huge depth and breadth of everything that the union covers and um, I think I was probably quite naive when I started in January 2022 thinking oh the union does like bits and bobs but actually it does so much stuff and covers so many different areas Sarah is probably the best example of that. Um, so yeah, I did that from January to December and then started as Livestock Policy Advisor in December. So I keep fobbing off that I'm quite new, so bear with me, but I do think it's um, a huge remit in itself. So my kind of day-to-day um, really varies. I spend quite a lot of time on the phone. Um, it's maybe me, I'm the issue rather than everyone else, but no, I think it's a lot of kind of that context and gathering the scene setting for it. Um, the Livestock Committee obviously is made up of regional representatives and my chair. We've covered a huge amount of stuff, a lot of it crossing over with Penny. Um, at our previous meetings, things like animal health and welfare, health planning, QMS standards, they had an interim review recently. Um, we've also spoke about kind of that wider, it's a huge question, kind of livestock's role in climate policy um, and what that looks like. And a lot of it is kind of it feels a little bit firefighting at times, but demonstrating that livestock's a land management tool and there's a lot of benefits that it brings to biodiversity and climate. And obviously, if you look at the bottom line and you're going on figures that you want to paint in terms of emissions and stuff, it doesn't look great, but there's actually a huge amount of stuff there that land use capability, it couldn't be used for anything else. So um, kind of that, I don't want to say translation piece, but looking at putting the colour into livestock and making it not completely out to be the baddie. Um, also within my remit, I look after the LFA committee. So again, a lot of that is looking at like what Beatrice says, adding the colour into what agriculture underpins. LFA covers a huge proportion of Scotland. It's a ridiculous figure that I can't remember right now and I should know off the top of my head, but um, it's either 89, I think it's 89% of Scotland's land mass. Um, so that's a huge part of it. And that needs to be supported because it is disadvantaged support areas so putting the colour into what that means for rural Scotland and obviously the Scottish government have committed to rural development and LFA communities underpin a huge amount of that and that also ties into biodiversity and stuff like that so it's hugely varied um trying to figure it out and put all the pieces in place but um it's good I really really enjoy it it's just um taking it bit by bit and trying to get all all of my ducks in a row it's uh, it's funny you say about being new. I mean, like I, uh, you are new, yeah, four months. But um, I think I'm still be using the oh, I'm new to this job. I've been there like almost three years. I can't use it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I still try to use it when I can. Um, the 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 LFA side is quite interesting. Eighty nine is correct because it was 
I'm pretty sure it's 7.15 million hectares of Scotland is LFA and Scotland is 7.878 million hectares. 7.878 million. Because I did it in a class about two months ago. Um, You could just say it was a test. You're testing me. There you go. Got it right. Yeah, but also (laughs) what I said could be absolute nonsense, but I'm pretty sure. uh, No, 89. 89, I'm pretty sure is right. I I couldn't remember the percentage, but I was doing the maths in my head and I had about 90. So, Oh, what was the thing I was going to ask you? I was going to say something. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, LFA in general, like it's, it's what, 90% of, of the country is, is, is in a less favoured area and it's, it's important that we're supporting that ground. And I think we're, we're moving into tricky waters, shall we say, with, um, with subsidies and where they're going and whatnot. And I have a bit of a worry as to where support is going to go. And and hopefully hopefully things like LFA are still going to wait around and we're going to have that support support in place. Um, but uh, I liked your point about sort of bringing colour into colour into farming and showing that yeah it's not it's not all bad and talking about the good sides. And I know I'm maybe a bit biased on this, but uh, a carbon calculator company I won't say the name on the basis I can't remember it, but it was a slightly different name. It was it was began with well, Y, but I can't remember the name. I put a post out on Facebook saying you know, like uh, talking about the high emissions of, of, of livestock farming. And it's a photo of, of what I would assume is some kind of Swiss flake V cow on the hills of Switzerland with about five or six different flower uh, varieties in this small photo in the front. Um, and I remember thinking like, this is truly the picture of what we're after. Like you're on a hill here that you're not going to be getting a combine on. Um, so if you can get that cow, you can get that sheep up there and we're producing some kind of protein off there and it's, zero percent transported uh synthetic transportation of water like that's got to be a good thing so um i think that's an important narrative to get over um jumping jumping kind of back uh, a bit to yourself penny uh i think you said it was 15 years you've been involved um it's quite interesting to see how how have things changed over i think if i've got my calculations right you've got more experience than everyone put together in here at the nfu specifically uh how have, how have you seen things change over that decade and a half? You're muted, Penny. <laughs> I would say, um, probably depressingly very little, I would say. Um, it's a bit of a standing joke that the union was started way back when with dairy farmers complaining about the price of milk um, and still number one uh, topic on our uh, dairy uh, committee is price of milk. So, um yeah, it's you don't get a it's a very glacial rate of change within uh, within farming. I think um, the problems remain largely the same. Um, it's just you know, looking at different priorities and um, and trying to kind of use different levers, I suppose, to to get results. Um, yeah, a lot of the same issues. I mean, it it, it is. How we can help, how we can better help the environment, and um, how we can be more efficient. Selling the message of farming and the importance of, um, of what farming involves and what it delivers, um, and the importance of providing food for the uh, for the nation, that kind of kind of thing, that doesn't really change. You know, we get different different political parties in that might have a slightly different uh, priority um, on moving forwards. Um, different characters in that maybe want to make a name for themselves politically and things and different priorities but um 
largely, you know, we remain our commit commitment to basically trying to ensure that we've got a thriving farming um, community for the for the future. I assume I assume one of the biggest sort of shifts is the movement from the environment was always a thing, something we had to consider, but I'm guessing it's a much more positive approach now from the sector. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it was definitely still being talked about um, when I joined 15 years ago and we were very much saying, you know, guys, this is going to become really important. And that probably is the biggest change over the 15 years is that change of priority um, definitely coming coming up against the climate change and biodiversity um, as being the absolute number one um, previous mixes and things like um cheap food for the nation and things like that have maybe slipped a bit further down 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 the list but um but they're still there and so now you you've got to get that balance and and that's the really tricky thing it's balancing all those different priorities that we have um so that we can we can deliver our um priorities on climate change and biodiversity but we can still feed the nation we can still have a thriving agricultural um sector and rural communities um and that's 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 the trick isn't it the, the balance it, yeah exactly and it, it's it probably opens up a bit of a question that i'll throw out to all five of you and see if anyone wants to jump in or if anyone absolutely doesn't want to jump in which i could also imagine being the case what do you think brexit means for farming <laughs> everyone's like mute walk out the room <laughs> well Don't so that one. <clears throat> I'll maybe start and um, you know obviously I was working for the organization whilst we were having the uh, the Brexit question and debate um, and I think it doesn't mean what a lot of people thought it would mean um, a lot of focus on um, you know so the big change in my job my job um, a lot of my work was done at European level in terms of um, regulation and things and a lot of kickback from farmers about regulations and things coming from Europe and I think with to some themed and to a lot of the public that voted for it that this is a way of getting away from some of that European regulation but unfortunately it doesn't mean that because if we want to trade we've still got to comply with European regulation we now just don't have a voice in Europe and saying what that regulation will be um, and it yeah and we're already seeing that it is having impact on trade. Um, you know, took for granted, I think, free trade between them, between ourselves and Europe, and um, now having to, yeah, undergo checks and um, restrictions and things is is difficult. Um, and it it's been hard at all levels. Um, for instance, I know um, it's not just livestock, or it's not just the agricultural products. It's the the products that you need. Um, I mean, we were having great problems getting things like egg boxes, which were largely made on the, on the continent over. Um, you know, we're, we're way down the packing list now for products like that. So if there's a shortage of supply, we're the ones that aren't going to get it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's made everything a lot more complicated in terms of accessing um, inputs and yeah, looking at trade. The, my one thing that I do always hope will come from it is that we'll put my health and welfare hat on um benefits on disease control because we've got more control over the border now um but unfortunately governments don't seem to be pushing that bit forward um 
as fast as we would like. Um, so we're getting the negatives of a trade border without any of the benefits. Yeah, it, it does sort of, and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I always sort of feel like one of the things we're seeing is we are keeping our rightfully so high standards that come with a production cost, uh, but still importing products that do not. <laughs> uh, and, and that's a bit of a worrying one. Um, what about the other four guys? Maybe you, you haven't been in the NFU for for as long a period of time. Maybe maybe seen a look from from external source. Uh, well, not sources, external perspectives. I guess. What what do you think it means for the future? I think, like you say, I've not been here for long enough. But even just in the four months looking at livestock, particularly, there's things like export health certificates now need a vet declaration. Mm-hmm. So if you're exporting something that's alive or dead, it still needs to have a vet sign off on it. Um, that's just another another thing to do and a bit of red tape alongside that so things like Penny said as well trade agreements we've opened ourselves up to vulnerability from a red meat point of view I mean there is opportunity in there as well it depends whether you're a glass half full or a glass half empty but thus far I think we could it's fair to say and we've opened up for imports rather than seeing the export benefits of it but that's really quite a a superficial look at what I've seen and in the past four months but really just it seems like a bit onerous it's like penny says we're now having to make decisions that maybe we haven't made before and that's clunky in itself a little bit um but that's just my naive input on that well you're saying naively so which i'm sure isn't true but what what's your what's your opinion maybe from you said you were brought up on a farm from that perspective you know from actually being on a farm perspective i suppose like penny says it's not at home, is there a natural impact? I don't know whether you see it on at farm level or mm. on our farm level as a, a child of a farm. I don't know that I've seen it when I go home and think about it in that context. For sure, working at the union, I go home and I look through things in a completely different lens. I was at home the weekend and all of a sudden I think of things quite differently. I always joke that I must be a pain when I go home now because I'm full <laughs> of bright ideas. Um, but yeah, at farm level, Things like increased input costs, I mean, obviously that was a huge result of the Ukraine war, but there's things like fertilizer processing Mm. that's limited within the UK. So we rely quite heavily on having a good relationship with the EU for that. That becomes more strained now that we're not part of the EU. So little things like that that trickle through, you might not on the surface think it's a direct impact of not being in the EU, but it all has a bit of a red thread running through it. And and I guess it's an important question over over to yourself, uh, Sarah. I mean, it's not strictly through Brexit having happened, but when you're talking about air and water quality, I'm guessing the main thing you're looking at at the minute is the transition towards um, away from splash plates and into dribble bars. It's going to be a massive one, um, which is going to be a, a a one one of the things that, like you were saying, trying to work both sides that farmers have to do. It's the rule now. Um, but it's a massive expense and 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 sort of trying to trying to show that this is this is the way forward is tricky and with that what's the word uncertainty of of how finances are going to look post brexit um that must be quite a tricky one for you to sort of to to show the benefits if you will um his his not has i guess what i'm more asking is is, is there more more to come from our air and water quality perspective that's that's going to be that we're expecting to see in the, the near future? No, I'm not strictly saying a massive change like the, the splash plate triple bar, but is there more to come in there, the near future? There definitely will be more to come. And I think what you say about kind of selling the benefits and 
um, I suppose asking for more funding, which as a lobbying organisation is a lot of what we do. And in this current climate where we do have a cost of living crisis, everything is stretched. It's become more and more kind of acute, you know, the importance of of asking for, for more um, considering the landscape which farmers operate in, but also just the landscape that public finance is operating in. It's so under so much pressure. So we've definitely got our work cut out for us there. In terms of um, more coming down the line for air and water quality, again, um, you know, the Scottish government is committed to keeping pace with the EU. So there, well, we are out of it now, there's still that kind of uncertainty about what happens in Europe. Is that going to impact us here? And will that kind of follow trickle down to us in Scotland. Um, I'll mention air quality specifically because it is an area where agriculture um, is particularly um, not great, um, especially okay. ammonia emissions. Um, again, I also should know this percentage off the top of my head, but I think it's about 98% of ammonia emissions um, in Scotland come from agriculture. So that's a huge, obviously, um, a completely huge number that we need to reduce. And the approach so far from government has been um, a voluntary approach. So um, there's plans through the Clean Air for Scotland strategy um, for a voluntary code of practice for farms to basically adopt best practice measures to reduce their ammonia emissions. And with that also comes climate benefits as well. Um, so that's the approach they're taking. But as we get further and further um, towards the end of the decade, and if we don't see these um, ammonia emissions reduce, then there is that danger, I'll say, of um, more regulatory, um, you know, the regulatory instruments coming in to, to kind of force farmers, I suppose, to, to reduce their emissions. And we have seen that with the, the changes to the slurry storage and spreading rules. It's not a choice anymore. That's what you have to do. So I would say that a lot of our work is trying to be on the front foot, encourage farmers to get ahead of the game where there is funding available, apply for it because you don't know when that's going to come again um, and you don't know when it's going to be mandatory and, and you might not get support for it. So it really being on the front foot is really key to, to resilience in this area. But absolutely, absolutely, there'll be more, more things um, coming down the line. Air quality is, is one that I'm embarrassingly not up on at all. I mean, you know, water quality makes sense because it's like a, well, it's, it's, they're all tangible things, but it's like a, in my head, it's a thing happening. It's a, it's, it's something we're going to water course, it's futurification happening, but I struggle to sort of fathom the air side. I really do. Uh, and in my head, I'm like, is there a way we can harness methane? Is there a way, you know, like, but that's, that's a massive infrastructure input, I would assume. And yeah, it's here, it's, it's more I'd quite like to uh, read up on. Would you be interested, Sarah, in coming in and doing a wee talk questions? I'd quite like to get you in to, to chat about all that sort of stuff. That would sound class, or is that something you'd absolutely hate to do? Uh, you don't have to. Friendly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll kick some out then. No, <laughs> I'm sure we. No, you're yeah, that no, no. I put you on the spot there. That's a bit unfair. <laughs> um, we can speak off camera. But uh, Amy, you're, you're sort of, I guess, maybe not the face of this, but you're the person that's sort of creating the face of everyone here and, and making sure it looks good. And uh, you've sort of got to not be a, an expert in every part, of course, but sort of understand here and there. You're, you're quite new. I can't remember who's newer to their current post out yourself and Lisa, but I knew you're pretty, I think it's you, isn't it? You're, it's, it's me, yeah. <laughs> is you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what's, 
what's your job involvement in that sense? You know, what's your day to day? My day looks different literally every time I log on. Um, sometimes I will log on to my emails and I'll check and I'll have a list of requests of stuff to go out on social media. So um, stuff to do with policy updates, um, sharing surveys that we need to inform our lobbying decisions. Um, it's mainly getting the word out about what we're doing. Um, so, and obviously that looks different day to day because there's so much changing and there's so much, as you've heard, there's so much that we look after, there's so much that we do. Um, but for me, I think I'm focused on just creating a very cohesive looking brand for us to make us really stand out. Um, I think definitely in, in a social media aspect, I would like to do, this is something why we're so interested in coming into the podcast, this sort of video and audio side of things is becoming so important and having that voice where people can actually hear you rather than just seeing what you're posting about is so important to getting those messages heard um, a lot more, especially with the rise of TikTok, um, which I'm terrified of as a platform. <laughs> TikTok scares me as a social media manager. I know I probably shouldn't say that, but um, yeah, it's, it's huge. Um, and there's a lot to be done, but my day just, it varies. I also look after design as well. So I do, um, I'm updating some resources for us. Um, so sort of jack of all trades when it comes to our digital presence. You all seem like not even just jack, but master of all trades. Mm. <laughs> like, yes, I do this, but I do all of this for that. And then I do this, you know, but yeah, it's just uh, TikTok scares you. That's an interesting one. It does. <laughs> reducing our ability to, to focus or why? <clears throat> I, I think it's because of how easy it is for stuff to go viral on there it's so easy for something that you put out to be misinterpreted um and when we're doing stuff with agriculture where there are subjects that people have a lot of strong opinions on it's quite worrying to put out a strong statement that you could then be met with a lot of backlash from from people who aren't I don't want to say uneducated people who are uneducated but people who just don't have the knowledge yet on what we're talking about um so for example what you're saying about that picture of a cow on the fields and people are saying you know cows are bad well no they're, they're not they're very key to our biodiversity and to like a circular economy but a lot of people don't see it that way i hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the r2cast with another really interesting guest I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. It's, yeah, it, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the weirdest thing goes viral, and quite often that weirdest thing is the thing that's quite dramatic and the folk can buy into. And Absolutely. I, yeah, and as an industry, the things we don't want to go viral but if you if you're if you look my my interest a massive interest of mine and, and it, it's got to the stage of even writing a phd proposal and stuff like that is is the potential sort of positive impact of social media on the agricultural mm. sector looking at influencers looking at all that sort of thing um but the problem is is it's so much harder to sell positivity than shocking negativity That's exactly the 
yeah and as you say like the weirdest things go viral <clears throat> and in that the also the worst things go viral people like to latch on to something that they feel they can create an opinion around yeah. and that is so often the bad stuff whereas i think what i want to do personally is create something that's really positive and that speaks to more people <clears throat> and it's daunting to sort of look at a platform like TikTok and think about all the bad things that can happen. <laughs> yeah, what, what can go wrong today? Uh, exactly, there's a list as long as my arms. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, it's interesting what you said about sort of going on to sort of little, longer form video and audio content. And I think if, if I found anything with a podcast, and I think I'm probably at the stage that I'm able to say I know a wee bit about it now, is there's like an endearment to reality. People enjoy the fact that, I mean, how they can listen to me for an hour, I don't know. It's probably because everyone else is speaking for longer than me. And one of my best mates did say I have a face for podcasting. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but That's harsh. It's very harsh. I mean, he made a point of putting it in the, the, the Young Farmers programme for their concert and everything with my <laughs> advert. But anyway, um, the... People buy into the fact, and they do speak to me at shows and stuff, they're like, I just like that you talk about your life and you talk about normality. And, and I think, you know, I've got you five guys on here and, and you might see a podcast as of NFU and think it's going to be, we do this, we do this, we do this, we do this. And I don't think that really sells. People want to hear that there's, this is five inspiring and passionate women behind NFU and they want to hear your stories and they want to hear what's involved. And that's, people buy into that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You've heard it, you so yeah it's true and, and I would say there's definitely a market for that uh, it's it's smaller because it's not seven second videos of cats jumping and people falling off their bikes but it's, it's something that, that I don't want to say the people that matter that's so wrong but <laughs> people that really are looking into it are, are sort of buying into it and that that's got to be a positive thing <clears throat> which, which sort of leads me on to yourself uh, Beatrice you, you're you've been involved in in that contact with parliament and whatnot and and I assume that communication has changed, you know, whereas maybe not in the couple of years or a few years, I think it was you said that you've been involved, but it'll have moved away from the conventional getting in touch and saying, is that also, is, is that changing as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, lots and lots of politicians are now much more active on Twitter and, you know, it's much more direct. You can contact them, you know, much quicker and it's it, it, it has changed very much. But I think something that we're very lucky in in Scotland is the accessibility of politicians to people, not just us, but, but other people as well. And, you know, spending time down in Westminster, it's, it's it feels much more removed and much harder to to and maybe that's been a bit mean, but I don't know. And I think think we're very lucky with the Scottish Parliament that it is easy to um, engage effectively and and have build up relationships with with them up here so yeah yeah definitely definitely we don't need to get into the to the independence chat but uh no 100 and it's i don't know it's it's fun to hear you bring different folk on here like <laughs> this is arguably a flex in some ways but i spoke to the food and policy lead for the um government in rwanda right i had time on the podcast i don't know how that happens like very strange but um Regis Umajuraneza is one of the coolest names I've ever heard. Uh, and Regis spoke a lot about, about that sort of dialogue with, with the masses, as he would say. And it was it was interesting to hear that it was so social media based. So, so just about everything was social media based. He was like, we don't really do TV, we don't do uh, newspapers or any sort of 
in conventional media at this point it's old media isn't it really um and it's quite cool to see that change i mean you mentioned you're sort of scared of uh, tiktok i mean i'm not a fan of twitter i'm not a fan of that place but it's how it's how anyone of any sort of standing uses to communicate uh and it's slightly open in that you can sort of sort of get back get back in that sense mm. um, i think it's so useful because it moves so quickly you know if you're yeah. putting something out on tv if you're putting together a new special, you need an entire team to put that together. You need producers, you need editors, you need directors, you need someone on sound. It's a whole mission. Whereas with social media, I can put my phone up and I can see 30 seconds worth of stuff and I can send it out to potentially millions of people. And I think that's one of the most incredible things about social media, but it is also one of the most scary things. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, that isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I had a random video where I took some drone shots of my mate um, that's got out to 110,000 folk last week. But it's just random. Like uh, It's been picked up in Poland and India. So it's not really doing, it's not my target demographic, I'll be honest, but uh, it's went somewhere. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, I guess I've got a bit of a question for, for all of you. And it's, it's again, every time, well, the one time I said that before, it looked like everyone wanted to jump off camera. But uh, what, what do you think? NFU's been around for however long. I don't know. I assume that's an age, that a number that's out there somewhere. But uh, what what do you think the changes are going to be in the in the coming years? Because because we've spoken about Brexit, we've spoken about you mentioned Ukraine at one point, Lisa. You know we're we're seeing a lot of things. I mean, hopefully hopefully we're not going to see something like Ukraine anytime soon. I said that with way too much of a laugh in my voice. I didn't mean it that way. I just meant in general. I hope that's not something we're seeing in the sort of soon future. Um, where do you think? What do you think NF role is going to be? NFU's role is going to be, and is it going to change slightly in the, the next decade or so? I don't know. I'm probably not the person to speak about this, so I'll let everyone else go. I think it's hard to think on it like a. I'm quite self. I'll think about it in like an LFA and a livestock capacity, but it is kind of yeah. pulling together food production, climate, and biodiversity all in. They're not one or the other they're kind of all complementary and from an LFA point of view there's a huge amount of public goods that are produced that don't have a market return so our job is to make sure that government are clear that we need to be supported for the public goods that they benefit from whether that's carbon sequestration biodiversity of beasties living in drystone dikes and hefted flocks and everything and tick management control so yeah our role is to kind of bring together what Scottish government want and they've outlined it quite clearly but also saying we're not the enemy we actually already deliver this you need to recognize that and marry it up um across the board and kind of make sure that the policy supports that that we're not penalized or demonized that actually we're part of the solution and part of the overall aim on where Scotland will get to that's kind and, of my it's from yeah that that yeah, makes a lot of sense, Lisa. And I guess yourself, Sarah, sort of plays the other side of, you know, the 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 farming side alongside with the, the environmental side. What do you think the environment side of things? I mean, broadly, I think our role will will stay the same. I think we'll still be here and we'll still be lobbying for for Scottish agriculture. And yeah, honestly, just to echo what I said in terms of it's it's those three things for us. It's not just one, i.e., food production or climate and biodiversity, it's all three. And we have to, yeah, continually 
spread the message that those three things can be achieved in tandem. Um, but we need a lot more support from the other side, from government to get there. I think going forward, as the industry does shift towards this kind of new era, as we'll, we'll say it is, um, we hopefully will see a lot more kind of upskilling of the industry. It will be a lot more professionalised, upskilled. Um, people will hopefully take these challenges on and, and see the benefits that um, you know, working or farming with climate and nature in mind can actually bring other benefits. I think now it's it's feeling all a bit uncertain and that it's a threat, but hopefully going forward um, with that kind of certainty and clarity that it will actually become just a more robust industry all round. I think to echo that, not I've already said my piece, but there's things that like the next generation, things like technology and stuff, actually nature and climate and biodiversity are all intertwined but there's things that we could do actually that are going to deliver more efficient business returns or something like that so if you're able to have less mortalities in your herd then that actually might boost your bottom line and things like that it might not be as direct like that and like Sarah said the uncertainty is hard to look past it but um it'd be good to have that vision and see it through well I mean they say we're in I've just realized it's got dark. I forgot to do the light on. Um, there's, oh my God, uh, they're saying that, uh, you know, we're in that sort of fifth, arguably sixth agricultural revolution. It's sort of based on data. Uh, and it's kind of crazy that that's what agriculture is now, but it's so true. I mean, we, we had speakers in recent, recently, must be thinking I'm saying your name, Lisa, recently, uh, of, you know, just speaking about the role of data. And I've always been quite aware of the role of data, but my God, it's, 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 it's impressive what we can do now um and and you know in five years time it's going to be it's going to be quite worrying um i guess for yourself uh beatrice on that on the, the sort of the the close future if you will um you're going to be seeing a lot of changes whether that's a change in prime minister uh, first minister got it i know what i'm talking about uh whether that's a change in, in prime ministers because it's certainly been something they've been quite good at in the last year and and just general sort of looking at independence chats and brexits and whatnot is it going to change or is it going to be the same it's just going to be sort of getting to to know new people i guess i mean so i mean we're totally apolitical so we don't get i know that yeah so yeah yeah so i just had to say that so i can speak tonight yeah. thank you sure. <laughs> um you know for me so i'm totally new to the sector and yes you know agricultural policy is on the route to, to changing and it's it's you know there's a lot of people that are looking for more information about that and understanding a bit more but one of the things that struck me is that when i go and speak to a farmer and say to them you know as a politician wanting to come and speak to you what you're doing about climate change they say, well, i'm not doing anything about climate change and i'm like well and i can see i can sit in the farm and point at things and say well you're doing this you're doing that and like, oh yeah i am i am actually doing this and we're doing this and so like you know i think that there's an education piece there that yes there's more to go and and you know bring everybody with us and stuff but there's so much great innovation and work going on and it does benefit the climate and it does by benefit biodiversity and like lisa said as well it sometimes helps the bottom line too so I think for me the near future is you know making sure that politicians understand that and and understand that there's lots of great work going on and that by working together we can we can help governments deliver um ambitions with regards to green um ambitions because 
we we care about our land. There was somebody that gave evidence to the Scottish Parliament a few weeks ago in, in our introductions. He said, you know, there's nobody who cares more about their land than a farmer. <laughs> and, and well, obviously not, absolutely. But I think that that's not what you hear on the news. And, you know, even there was something on, um, there was a Scottish show that I saw just a few, few weeks ago. And, you know, it sounded like farmers were really awful and not, you know, every farmer I've met, they care about their land. There's nobody that cares about it more than them. And I think that's something that more people need to understand. It would be mental for them not to. <laughs> but, but they are portrayed as... Yeah, for not. sure. <laughs> just, just out of interest, Beatrice, what was your, your background before? It wasn't farm-based. What was it? Um, so um, it was. So I worked for the Scotch Whiskey Association for ten years, and then prior to that, I lobbied for the British Medical Association. So I've had doctors, whiskey, and now farmers. <laughs> well, it's quite embarrassing. You already told me that. I'm just yeah. We'll, <laughs> I'll pretend I'm good at what I'm doing, but I'm not doing well. Uh, it's here. I'm conscious we've been speaking for an hour and ten minutes, and uh, it does sort of fly by when you're having fun, doesn't it? Uh, you're all sitting there thinking it feels like four, uh, but. I'm conscious it's it's a nice evening and uh, I don't want to hold you forever. Um, but there's there's sort of two questions I sort of ask everyone at the end. Uh, it's one of them sort of aimed at you individually. We'll go around everyone. Um, and one of, one of them sort of aimed at, at the NFU in general. Uh, so it's, it's one of those ones that's kind of unfortunate for the person that's last. Uh, so... I'm trying to work out a way to do this. It seems a bit unfair. We went clockwise last time, so we'll go anti-clockwise from the different side of the clock. That's not a clock. That's a weird square. So we're going to start with yourself, Beatrice. And the two the two questions are: um, one, where do you see yourself? So that's the sort of self one. Where do you see yourself in five years? And the second one is: if you had to quickly explain NFUS to someone who knew nothing about it in the street, how would you do it? Emmy's, uh, for those of you who can't see, you can only see me at the minute. Emmy's just went like this. Off the <laughs> Sorry to call you out there, Emmy. That was nasty. <clears throat> um, well, I'll, I'll tackle the last one first, I suppose. The NFUS, um, you know, is promoting a sustainable, thriving farming sector for the country. Um, that's, I think, <laughs> um, that's, I'd say that in a, in a nutshell. And where do I see myself in five years' time? I, I really don't know. Um, really still taxing my children around because that's something that I spend a lot of my free time doing just right. now. <laughs> Keeping them wherever they're going. No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, that was a very good, quick, this is how I see NFUS. And I, do you know, it's funny, I ask people to do these things and one day, um, just to show off episode number 45, uh, Crawford Niven said to me, um, he was like, where do you see yourself in five years? And I was like, eh, eh. <laughs> So it's probably a bit unfair of me, but uh, next to it is, and my list is Penny. Penny, where do you see yourself in five years in a quick description of NFUS? You're muted again, Penny. <laughs> um, yeah, where do I see myself in five years' time? Well, I've been 15 years with, um, with NFUS, and, you know, I feel very passionately still about it, so... Um, quite possibly I will still be here in yeah. uh, five years' time, um, hopefully um, still flying the flag for, uh, for Scottish agriculture. And as far as NFUS uh, descriptions of them, basically I would say we are 
the we are the collective voice for um, Scottish agriculture. We lobby on the on behalf of uh, of agriculture individuals. We are their their voice. You are uh, very good at this. It's, I was expecting to struggle a bit more, but he's absolutely smashed it so far. Um, I, I'm going to apologise to you, Sarah, because Sarah, you're actually going to be last, so uh, we'll give you a bit of time to try and work out to apologise. Uh, and I should probably apologise to you, Sarah, on that um, throughout the whole thing, you're sort of furthest across this side of my tablet. So when you're talking, I'm probably not looking at you at all. I'm, I am looking at you, but you probably don't, doesn't look like I am. Um, Amy, yourself, five years and a quick description in FUS. Saying where I am in five years is definitely a big question. Um, I think I've only just started my career. I'm 22. So thinking where I'm going to be in five years is a huge thing. Um, I think I would like to still be doing social media. Um, I would love to still be involved in Scottish agriculture. I think it's a wonderful sector um, to be a part of. And I see a lot of a, a lot of positivity in the future of that um, through social media. So yeah, I, I'd like to still be involved in five years um, if they'll keep me. Um, <laughs> I'm sure, I think, I'm sure, I'm sure they will. <laughs> um, my probation isn't up yet, so there's <laughs> still time. There's still time. Um, and I think there's what, still time. Sorry. Yeah, coming back from that. Um, I think NFUS is just a wonderful tool for everyone in agriculture um, in Scotland. I think it's a great place to get more information about um, the industry. And I think especially not for people, not just for people in agriculture, but for people on the outside of it who maybe don't know a lot and want to learn more. I think there's a lot of resources that we've got available. Um, I think it's a great place to learn as well as sort of push things forward politically um, with lobbying. Absolutely, and and if it makes you feel better, you may feel really old. Um, it just makes you feel really sorry. Old. <laughs> That's impressive, uh, Lisa. Um, I'll take. I'll start with what NFS is. I feel like I spend my life explaining this to friends. Um, it's, <laughs> my go-to is that we're a lobbying organisation, um, a membership organisation that lobbies for farmers, and I think. Yeah, you could say that, and what does that really mean? But yeah, like say a profitable and. I don't actually know what our vision is. I've forgotten it now. Was it a profitable and viable and sustainable agricultural industry? So um, anything that makes that happen and kind of, yeah, farmers spend a lot of time working on their own and they spend a lot of time and the thought of trying to take on policy alongside that must be (laughs) mental. So we do some really important work for people that do really important work for our environment and food security. Um, So yeah, that's a wishy-washy answer. Um, where do I see myself in five years? Um, I'd like to say I'm the same as Emmy, but I'm quite a bit, well, not quite a bit, I'm older than Emmy. So um, I think I'd still like to be here. I really enjoy my job. I find it really, really rewarding. And I think hopefully in five years time, I'll be able to confidently sit in something like this and answer all the questions and not waffle around being new. If in five years, I'm still saying, oh, I'm new, bear with me, then you can pull me up on it and use this. <laughs> Yeah, you might be doing something uh, something slightly different, but I don't think you have to be worried about answering questions well and stuff. It's certainly not been an issue at all for, for any years, any years at all. Um, and I, I think I've last but not least at least four of you, so uh, Sarah, last but not least yourself. 
No, that's fine. Give me some more time to think about my answer. Um, yeah, I, not coming not from an agricultural background, my friends ask me all the time what NFUS is, but I think that kind of description I kind of mentioned before about being a middle person is quite a good one in that you mm -hmm. are kind of looking at government and working with them and highlighting to them the farmer's priorities of what would work practically on farm with the things that they want to bring in. Um, and then on the other hand, you're like translating policy um, into a kind of language or a kind of real life um, implications of what that will mean to a farmer. So you are kind of sitting in the middle and and kind of playing both sides, I guess. I would, yeah, that's kind of what NFUS does. Um, in terms of where I'd want to be in five years, being a bit older than the other uh, previous two. Um, yeah. I, I really don't know either. Um, I hope I'm still working in um, in this area. I'm really passionate about biodiversity and the environment. I think there's so many good opportunities, you know, in the next couple of years as well in this area. It's only just kind of starting to get going. So yeah, I really hope I'm still working in this area as well. Hopefully with all these lovely people as well. Excellent, excellent. Well, do you know it's it's a uh, it's you said uh, older than the last two, as you said, Sarah. Um, the I'm just thinking about it, Amy. I think you're the fourth youngest on the podcast out of 129 so far. I think, uh, which is great. And in fairness, one of them was two. Uh, so <laughs> that's not that's a difficult one to beat, <laughs> yeah. And well, actually, two of them have been two Len and Tamish were running around. So that's Emma Gray and you and Irvin's kids, and then another couple's kid. Uh, so yeah, it must be no, you'll be fifth, you'll be fifth. <laughs> pretty good going pretty good going that is good going um, yeah as why am i such a number nerd it's so sad anyway <laughs> um here we've we've been sitting chatting for for i pretty much an hour and a half it does really go go by quickly certainly for myself and it's something i'm really interested in this has been one i really have been uh, so i do appreciate all your time thank you thank you very much for that um first of all i hope you guys have enjoyed coming on i hope it's not been like oh uh hope it's been good enough for you so yeah. It's been really enjoyable and thank you again for inviting us on. No, here not at all. And it's it's probably what you know, it's probably one of those things, NFUS, it's probably one I could do a few times with a different batch of folk every time. There'll be a lot of you involved, uh, I am sure. Um so yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate it hugely. For those of you um for those of you listening, <clears throat> that was obviously episode number ninety-eight with uh, five guys from <laughs> not with five guys, we haven't got the, the fast food chain on yet, and that'll happen one day. But five <laughs> folk from NFUS uh, today, which was really good and I really enjoyed it. So thank you to Beatrice, Lisa, Sarah, Emmy, and Benny. Um thank you all for that. Um uh, what was this? Yeah, one more up. One more episode. Apparently, I can't teak. I can't talk at all. So, uh, it's mixed. I actually meant to mix talk and speak there, but now it looks like I'm an idiot. I genuinely meant that, and now it looks like I can't speak at all. Anyway, uh, yeah, the next episode is the last episode with only two digits on it, which is quite exciting. Uh, 100 episodes of the podcast is pretty good going. Uh, wonderful hit four figures. I wonder what four figures. That would be quite exciting. Proper takeout, Joe Rogan. Um, I'll need to change my stature and kill some more elk. Um, so, yeah. 99, speak a lot of mental health, hoof trimming, um, triplets, human triplets, which is quite exciting. Uh, the, the guy had them, that wouldn't be just random triplets there, it's just a random chat about triplets, that'd be weird. Um, yeah, it's a really good episode. And then the next one is the 100. Uh, as I said, it's been filmed, it's a good episode. I'm really looking forward to sharing it with you all. 
there's going to be three episodes in four days. There's going to be Friday, Saturday, Monday, and from now on, we'll be having eight releases a month. Hopefully by December, we'll have that up to 12 or maybe even 16 a month. So putting out a lot of content there. Uh, and yes, you must be bored of hearing my voice, but thanks again for listening. Thanks to everyone for coming on. Appreciate your time hugely, and we'll see you in the next one for R2Cast number 99 with Neil Barrett. See you then. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2Cast. I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, A-Plan Rural. If you follow A-Plan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside A-Plan Rural so far and long may it continue. The values of A-Plan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at A-Plan Rural and on Facebook at A-Plan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.